Bad at Parties is sponsored by Abbey Art Seattle and the Ballard Homestead, music, arts, and community events for people of all ages and incomes. With reoccurring events including the Moth Story Slam, Cathedrals, and The Round, there's always an event when you're in Seattle. Check out Abbey Art's online calendar for intimate performances by many of the artists featured on Bad at Parties. Learn more about this nonprofit organization and how you can attend, volunteer, and host events at fremontabbey.org. Hey gang, this is Andy Zook, and you're listening to Bad at Parties, one-on-one conversations with artists at the corner of the party. Laren Herzer is on the show this week. I was so excited about this conversation because not only is Laren a fantastic musician, she is also an educational therapist. Now, I can't really share snippets of Laren's therapy work on social media, as that would be a HIPAA violation, but I can encourage you to take a listen to Laren's music. You can find that online in her partnerships with local musicians Zach Fleury and with Andrew Joslin on their album The Dead of Winter, which came out this last year. They're awesome. Along with that, Laren has a solo show coming up on February 26th at the High Dive in Seattle. A lot of stuff. Check it out. A little self-promotion, my band, Bears and Other Carnivores, just released a little video for NPR's Tiny Desk Competition, which you can find on YouTube and Facebook uh, while you're on social media. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, whatever, to Bad at Parties and hear about the new guests on the podcast each and every week. Okay, here we go. Laren. Everything. Picks up everything. Yeah, yeah, this is crazy. Isn't that fun? Snowball. Snowball. Okay, snowball. Blue mic. Yeah, it's worked really well. I've just, I got that, and then, like, literally the next day, I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. It was, like, one of those gifts that I always wanted, and then I think somehow Heather got it to her parents, like, hey, Andy really wants this microphone. Oh, that is actually something I was going to ask. I was going to be like, what started this idea? Because it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it was that. It was going to therapy. Um, it was this idea really around, like, I miss people. Uh, Because when was the last time you and I had a conversation? Like, just us. I think the last time you and I had a conversation for, like, an extended period of time was, like, there was one time that you and I and Abby Gunderson and Heather were all, like, hanging out over at Abby's place. Like, and that was years ago. Oh, yeah. Like, in Queen Anne? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was was years ago. Because I lived in that building. Right. Oh, wow. That was a long time. And I feel like that's a common occurrence in my mind is I'm just kind of... I had this doubt in my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm not the type of person that people want to invite into spaces. And so I was like, oh, I'll just create this thing where I'm crafting a way to invite someone else in and, like, kind of shape this idea and say, like, that's okay. It's not that, like, I don't know. I think it's kind of taking away that idea that, like, people don't want me or people do want me. It's like create a space in which people can access you. Right. Well, and and what's really cool about that is, like, And maybe therapy was good for this. And you Mm -hmm. being able to identify that thought or that feeling and say, like, is this a truth? And probably to figure out, no, this isn't a truth. This isn't because people don't want to talk to me or don't care about me as an Mm -hmm. individual. Maybe everybody else is actually going through that same, like, turbulent, like, mental process that I am in a social space. Absolutely. Actually, this has come up a bunch with my therapist. I've been trying to talk to more people about this, but so far... It's never worked its way into the conversation naturally, and I feel awkward doing it, but um, he's been taught. I would keep on being like, yeah, I feel lonely in these different ways. My therapist keeps on uh, saying, Dominic, he's great. Dominic. Dominic keeps on saying, like, yeah, I know, and that's a tough time of life where you're going through that, especially men, but a lot of people in your age, 
um, go through this time of life in their late 20s, early 30s, where your friendship groups really significantly dwindle. And that's a human experience. And I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. but it feels awful. Like, it feels awful. So I don't yeah. think it's supposed to happen. I don't, I, don't, I don't think you're right. I don't think this has happened to everybody. But I don't know. Do you feel like this is true? Oh, yeah. Well, and it's really hard not to take that personally. And mm-hmm. I think that there's kind of a natural distance that occurs, um, especially, like, when we're coming out of... Um, like that college environment, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, whatever environment where your close-knit group of people is always present. And there is always somebody easily accessible. And probably, I mean, like, I lived in a house of eight girls. Mm -hmm. And then I lived with one roommate. So there was always someone there. And then I lived by myself. And I think, um, I mean, I would suggest that everyone lives by themselves at some point in life. Just because it was the biggest growing experience I think I've ever had but um just in order to learn that thought process of like I have to actively pursue people and I have to figure Mm -hmm. out what that looks like and I have to stop telling myself that people don't want me to pursue them absolutely and I have to stop telling myself that if I'm gonna have friends it's because everyone's reaching out and extending themselves towards me sure um or yeah I think I've struggled for so long with taking everything to heart mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, like blaming myself for any distance that naturally occurs when really that's just kind of a natural thing. And right. Everyone has their individual reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that there is like, it's so easy to fall into the tendency of either um, I'm going to pretend that this is comfortable and say like, no, no, I can be by myself and I can be alone and say like, though that can be comfortable sometimes and it mm-hmm. absolutely is and it's wonderful and necessary. But, to, and then when you hit this point when you're done with it to say, no, no, I'm still fine. I'm not going to let myself feel this frustration and it bottles up and it builds mm-hmm. up instead to say, yes, this is, this is painful. And, mm-hmm. um, I can experience that, and I'm okay, it's okay for me to experience that, but it's also okay for me to reach out and say, hey, I have, an, I have this need, and I'm not used to experiencing this need. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's such a vulnerable thing, is being able to extend ourselves towards someone and say, like, hey, I, I just, like, I need somebody, mm-hmm. or to express loneliness yeah. in any way. It feels really hard, because, of course, ideally, we would all be... Um, you know, like self-sustaining sure, and like totally fine with being alone and totally comfortable with being alone. But, um, you know, I have, it's funny cause I, I think in having so many conversations about self-awareness and like having a lot of conversations about like the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or mm-hmm. personality things with people, I've become so acutely aware, like maybe to a fault where I'm like overly observant of my behavior yeah, and just like, overly like oh my gosh okay how am I behaving in this moment sure it's it's a it's an emotional puberty that you're going through <laughs> where all of a sudden you're like yep. okay I'm aware that my limbs are too big mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I'm good with them uh-huh. that just means I know that I'm gonna trip yeah and now that creates fear it doesn't mean I'm good with them it just means I know I'm gonna fuck this up a little bit oh yeah it's like oh crap oh crap oh crap yeah, yeah. oh S- yeah <laughs> similar to the the desire to prepare for conversations yep you want to prepare for conversations you want to be ready and mm-hmm. then it, it ends up, you just instead, like, be prepared for falling on your face, because you're going to fall on your face a little bit. And yeah. then when you do that, you're prepared to give yourself grace as well. Oh, yeah, man. And that, like, that self-grace, that self-compassion piece has been, like, a huge 
pertinent part of conversations I've had with a lot of people lately mm-hmm. sure. and been having it with a lot of my students um, because, I mean, in the work that I do with kids with learning disabilities or mm-hmm. struggles, um, they're all coming in with the message that they are inadequate in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, seeing how that just can create so much anxiety in a person because they expect themselves to go into a situation sure. and let people down. Mm-hmm. Um, and realizing that there were ways that I had created that expectation for myself. I'm going to enter the situation and I'm going to let somebody down. Absolutely. Um, instead of just being like, I'm going to go into this situation and I'm going to offer my best. Mm-hmm. Right? And if I give the best version of myself to somebody um, and that's not enough, like I have to not blame myself for that. Absolutely. Ugh, it's, yeah. And that's I, hard. And it's crazy because it's evolution, you know? It's evolution saying I can recognize patterns. I know that these things went badly before, so that means they'll probably go badly again. That's what kept your ancestors alive. It's why you exist. Mm -hmm. But now in these, like that mind, that brain, that animal brain was never meant to live in this society. It doesn't know how to recognize these subtle shades. Right. And so it's like, oh, and now I'm just going to stare at the ceiling. Like, I I ran... Okay, so here's a really embarrassing story. I went in this week to... um, uh, this shop where a friend of mine from like way back when, like high school, who I hadn't seen in years, mm-hmm. was there, and I was like so glad to see them. And I had just seen this thing about their boyfriend doing something really cool, and it was on Facebook. And I was like, oh, I saw this, and they were like, oh, really? Why were why were they there on that thing? And I was like, oh, uh, because of X reason why we're like explaining like, oh, this is why this was on Facebook. This was a cool thing that happened in the news. And they're like, oh, I didn't know about that. That's great for them. And I was just instantly like. Ah, you are not a couple. You have not been a couple oh, for no, a long the time. Oh, no, that's the worst. That's and the And they worst. were so oh, no. graceful in it. They were, they were beautiful. They were lovely. Yeah. And, like, oh, instantly no. asked me redirecting questions right. and, like, joked around with me. And I, I just was like, there's no good way right now for me to say, you're not dating them, obviously. Right. We both know right. this. But, like, the moment just wasn't present and they had to continue working. Right. And so it was just, like, one wow, of those things a, where I was like, wow. I'm just, like, that night just laying on my bed yes. just being like... Going through the whole thing. Um, I guess I text him. No, I can't text him. I can't. Yeah. I have to. I have to go to the shop. They're working. That's rude. I wouldn't want them coming to my work. Like <laughs> and just replaying it over and over right. again. Like that's. It's like when you watch a movie with a really, really bad instance, and you're like, this time when I watch it, it's gonna go different. For right. Sure. Oh yeah. And that film role plays in your head, and you're like, you know, you're going over all the different moves that you would have made as if that's gonna alleviate. That feeling, mm-hmm. because like, oh, well, now I know a good move. Right. When really in that situation, that person is thinking, oh, there's no way that he would have known. So how can Absolutely. I gracefully it just kind of like sure. deter the conversation? It's, it's the spotlighting effect. You're right. imagining it much bigger than anyone else uh, actually perceived it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh because gosh. everybody else is doing that about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, we all have such a like close up microscopic lens on ourselves Mm -hmm. and we cannot escape ourselves and I think this is another conversation I've been having a lot with people in terms of that self-compassion piece is like you know what would change about your response if it were your friend who did that right and you were like you know I don't think you need to feel stupid for that at all I think that like totally so much more grace right yeah oh and so I'm like sitting here having these like conversations with myself where I'm like Okay, no, Lauren, you didn't do something really stupid. It's fine. You're okay. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody is angry with you. Sure. 
And you think about any time that you got better at, like, like when you got better at being a musician. Like, you were playing guitar, you were playing piano, you were trying something, you played something that was technically wrong, but that just means it was something you hadn't done before. And those moments of growth came from playing that same wrong thing a mm. dozen times mm-hmm. in a row mm-hmm. and saying, no, maybe this isn't wrong, maybe this is right, and mm-hmm. starting to build a new idea right. just out of, like, I'm going to wrestle with this thing that I could be afraid of, I could be mad at myself, but instead let me play with it. Right. Like, which is so hard to do in a social construct to say, like, that went really poorly. Maybe if I re-enter it right away and just try it again and just, like, mm-hmm. keep messing around with it. Like, obviously, when I describe that person who does that, this is not someone just who is... Just keep talking to them like the they're still yeah. dating. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're speaking very loudly on the uh, bus. Yeah. They're, they're advocating for everyone who needs the back door open. They're just, back door every time. Oh, yeah. That's them. That's them. <laughs> That's them. Back door. Oh, you're a good guy. You're a real good guy. You but... are really helping yeah. everyone. We're here. fine, though. This is a smooth operation yeah. because of you. It's one of those touch to open. It's the D line. It's the C line. <laughs> like, we don't even need you saying that. Yep. But thanks, man. That is really funny. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I love that. Yeah. But I don't... I feel like that so much... So this idea that you were talking about, this reflection, like you become um, conscious about these ideas because you're working on it so much in this environment mm-hmm. where you're working with people with developmental disabilities, mm-hmm. cognitive delays, things mm-hmm. like that, that yeah. it's making you, of course, research is me search. You're starting to see it back in yourself. Oh, you're starting yeah. to understand those things. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how you got into that world. Like, I remember being like, Laren plays music. And then you were like, I work in this setting. I was like, yeah. cool, tight. That's great. I like both those things. But like when and where and how? Yeah, how did I? this happen? <laughs> like where did you, where did that like direction come from? Um, I think, so I, well, when I was at SPU and I was in the music program, I wanted to do film scoring. Um, and their music program just was, it really catered to people who wanted to do performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, person pursuing composition I was having a really hard time and I just had to dig for some of the other things I felt really strongly about and um education was one of those things and I was like I want to be an advocate for people Hmm. um and the best way I could think of being able to do that was being a teacher um and I wanted to teach middle schoolers and everyone told me I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are still some of my favorite. Dude, absolutely. I, but I also get to work on them one-on-one mm-hmm. or work with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So that's probably better. Yeah, but um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> a big group, I don't know how I would handle Dude, that. I did one year in a sixth and seventh grade class. It was A, the best year. B, like I would never have wanted to be the teacher. <laughs> like working one-on-one, vastly preferred. Oh, so much different. Yeah. Um, and I, I will touch on that again later. But... Um, I switched into the education department, and I loved it, Um, and I followed through almost until the end, and then I just realized in in working towards actually getting the certificate that I didn't want to be a classroom teacher, Mm -hmm. because my hands would have been so tied, and I wouldn't have been able to be effective in the way that I had hoped. Right. Um, And so then, I was like, okay, plan B. No, plan C. Plan C. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to do psychology, and... I mean, ultimately, ideas were kind of forming in the period of time that I was in the education department anyways. I've always been interested in using education as a rehabilitational tool, like mm. in, in prison systems or yeah. um, transitional settings or mental institutions, um, because knowledge is such a powerful tool. Yeah. And when people 
feel like knowledge is accessible and they know how to pursue knowledge, not just like, I know a lot of things, I learned a lot of things, sure. but like, I know how and it's to a, learn. And it's a socially, like, um, like, appreciated aspect of someone. Like, mm-hmm. if you're like, hey, I was in prison and I got my degree, all of a sudden people are like, oh, that I can respect. Right. That's like a very difficult way to re-enter society, but it is, mm-hmm. like, one of the few pathways right. how you can re-enter society well, and, and be accepted. Right, and we don't have a lot. There are some really great programs, um, like, in Seattle. Um, there's, like, Pioneer Human Services mm-hmm. offers, like, job training and, and schooling and transitional um, support for people coming out of prison and going back into society. And actually, I applied to be, like, a mentor to someone, and they mm-hmm. haven't gotten back to me yet, but... Um, I just think that that is such an important thing because if we want to see progress um, and we don't want to see those people go back to the same situation or, or um, go back to jail, sure. they have to be given new tools. Absolutely. And, like, and when you advocate for groups of people like that, that also is saying, let me put myself in a place where I am as a service to them, mm-hmm. find the people who are being mistreated by the systems that create because mm-hmm. definitely a real part of that whole aspect oh, is saying yeah. like many people are here for the wrong reasons maybe they have committed a crime maybe they haven't but either way they are here because they are part of a system that has led them to a path where this is where they have ended up as a result right. so by creating those people as educated advocates who are able to get out of that empowering them to say and return continue mm-hmm. go, doing this work continue mm-hmm. feeding back into this and let's start cutting the ties in our society that bring people to here or force people to hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because everybody has a story, and you really never know what someone's circumstance was that led to that, and, yeah, like, why they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, that's a hard part, too, being able to gauge, like, oh, my gosh, am I trying to provide an education to somebody who, like, killed another human being and, like, Wow, like second chances are, you know, really strange sometimes. But, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I just think it's really worthwhile to figure out um, how we can use education mm-hmm. um, in all the ways that it, you know, can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and education and mental health. I mean, you take a person like that, exactly what you described, someone who is just who has killed someone, and saying, yeah. "Is that a possibility?" Like looking at that as is this person mentally stable? No, they killed someone. I mean, if, right. if we're saying, yes, that, that factually did happen, right. that's not just an accusation, right. but that did happen, it's not this like question of were they mentally stable or not. No, if our society is saying this person who killed someone was mentally stable, then we have an inaccurate concept of what mental stability is. Right, and do we just leave them like, oh, well, there it is, that's, right. that's their fate, or do we say, like, what is the underlying cause of this behavior Mm -hmm. and, you know, even just like on a brain level, what's Mm -hmm. going on in this person's brain and, um, you know, whether it's like a chemical process or it's like a misfiring and, and, you know, the brain is so plastic Mm -hmm. and it's like probably the nerdiest thing I'm going to let myself say during this, but, um, that's a pretty great thing. uh, (laughs) The brain is so plastic. It is. And it's, I think in the work that I've been doing with students, that's been the most powerful thing to witness is um, someone come in feeling like they are bound by all these 
issues and bound by all these things and that that's just how the rest of their life is going to be, that Mm -hmm. they're always going to feel inadequate. They're always going to feel like they are a burden to other people and Mm -hmm. that they can't articulate themselves or they can't do what they want to do. And just to say, like, you know, I know you want to say you can't, but let's just say you can't yet. And, and, you know, let's just work towards that. Yeah. And you give them the opportunity to give themselves that self-grace mm-hmm. and say, okay, that's not where I'm at right now, but I can get there. Sure. And just believing in people is really huge, too. Yeah. Uh, there's been this huge concept that I really love that I felt like has been one of the b- biggest driving forces of how I understand these communities of people that mm-hmm. I want to serve and want to, whether I'm working directly or not want to say it's a lifelong responsibility mm-hmm. to further serve these communities that are underserved, mm-hmm. mental health especially for me, mm-hmm. um, is saying like this idea that um, there's a lot of programs out there trying to say, here, here's how we are set up, here is the environment in which you can operate correctly, mm-hmm. and we're going to teach you how to in- engage in it, and instead saying, no, you what you do is when somebody who is unfamiliar comes into your home, you cater to them, and Mm -hmm. you make them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. You do things to make them feel at home, and then slowly you can teach them customs if you want to, if that's Mm -hmm. the appropriate thing to do, but never forcing someone to adopt your customs. Constantly saying, if somebody has sensory integration issues and they need a high level of stimulus, saying then, great, then you shall receive a high level of stimulus. That is the environment in which you can operate. Right. You know? Well, and it's funny because we expect such a high level of mental flexibility and emotional flexibility from other people. Um, but, like, what, what are we doing to offer that to other people, mm-hmm. too? And I think that it's like you said, when someone comes in and they operate differently than you or, you know, they're not really abiding by what's familiar or customary to you, mm-hmm. being able to say, like, mm, okay, I'm going to see why they do things the way they do sure. and why that works for them and how that works for them. Yeah. And I'm sure in your school setting, you're working with people who not only mentally are in a different level than you, but are economically coming from a different place, mm-hmm. um, culturally coming from a different place. Maybe they have a different ethnic or ethnic background right. than you do. And saying, like, if I learn how to adapt myself to the mental facilities of where they're at, then I am also teaching myself to adapt to all of these other things and say... Look, I know I'm a white person. I know that I'm doing okay. I'm educated. I went to like college. I had a lot of opportunities. That doesn't mean I'm supposed to expect you to get to here mm-hmm. while we're sitting here in this room. Mm-hmm. That's and that's not saying that's up or down. That's just right. over, you know. Right. Yeah, that's like walking into that scenario um just like expecting that you're the one that knows more or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really important to just like sit with that person in that moment and say educate me, help me to understand, like, this isn't just me coming to teach you something or to change you, this is a learning experience for everyone, Mm -hmm. and I think that's, I mean, that's what's been really cool about um, working, or not working, but I volunteer at Youth Care um, once a week, Mm -hmm. tutoring students through the GED program, Mm -hmm. and I think that that has been so eye-opening, just to you know, it's really easy to say like, "Oh, kids are struggling in the classroom because they're not really ex- they're not really putting forth enough grit, or <laughs> they're not, or you know, our system yeah, doesn't cater. Yeah, they're not cater, trying. Right, yeah, something or like that. Our system doesn't cater to different types of learners. Like there are so many gaps in the education system, mm-hmm. and so many people's hands are tied. It's 
you know, it's not like I'm pointing fingers and blaming anyone, but um, I think it's so interesting to, like, show up there and say, you slept outside last night on the streets, and you're in here pursuing your education because you want to change your situation. Yeah, and I fucking showed up late. I slept late. I was the one who was late today. Yeah, (laughs) I'm the worst. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, where it's like, you're here, despite... So many reasons why you most shouldn't, people, yeah, yeah like would you shouldn't quit. be here, yeah. Oh yeah, and it's so powerful. And and really, some days what that looks like is, yeah. Sometimes I'm going through like a packet with them, or I'm helping them through a writing assignment, mm-hmm. um, or teaching them a concept. But last week I showed up and did a puzzle with a girl and played Scrabble with another kid, and mm-hmm. just like just sat and had a conversation with another one. And really what it is is just showing up and yeah. being present with someone. Yeah. Learning, like teaching, like, saying like, hey, what do you need right now? A safe space. You need to know that you are safe when you enter here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I, I mean, going back, one of my favorite things learning, I had um, someone that I worked with who would have blackout sessions and like learning about what that was like was, they would have enter into these flight or fight modes where they mm-hmm. there was a lot of PTSD and with a lot of PTSD individuals, this is what they're experiencing. The amygdala floods with right. blood. It gets rushed because it's saying like, let's make quick, fast decisions. Mm-hmm. And what that prevents is short-term memory. Right. It prevents uh, rational thinking. Mm-hmm. It prevent it causes emotional, reactive, animal. Right. Well, it shuts thinking. down that frontal lobe. Yeah. And so that is where people will enter into when they walk into a space that is triggering to them yes. for some reason. And exactly. they're saying, like, I'm literally, like, you're wanting, to me le- wanting me to learn, and my body is telling me that I'm about to die. Yeah. And I'm not, I can't even, like, I physically can't create short-term memories. Right. How am I supposed to, like, and you're like, and what's the solution to this? I don't know. Yeah. Like, how often have you been, like, stressed out or socially anxious, mm-hmm. and someone, like, asks you a question, you're like, I have no idea what we've been talking about for the past couple of minutes. I can't remember. Or you're le- you're trying to learn people's names. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, man, I don't oh, remember any oh, of that. Oh, think about being at a concert where you're playing music or somebody else's, oh, yes. and you meet yep. someone, and mm-hmm. it's instantly gone. Mm-hmm. That's physically because you don't feel safe. Right. Because you're nervous. Mm-hmm. And you can't remember because things. you're running on cortisol and adrenaline, yeah. and you're like, I'm just trying not to pass out right, right. now. Right, yeah. So. Can we talk about this later? Oh, yeah. The name tag. It just says, I'm doing my best. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Oh, I just need to sit down and take a break. Hi, my name's Brad. Oh, hey, Brad. What's your name? I'm just doing my best. I'm just doing my best. Oh, so mm. funny. Yeah, I think that's always so eye-opening and really impressive just, like, to see um, where resilience steps in. Hmm. Um. And it's kind of just shown me, like, where am I just giving up easily? And sure. where am I showing resilience? And, like, you know, it's it's made me much more um, apt to pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. Mm. And putting myself in more of those situations where perhaps I would shut down. Mm. Um, because, I, I mean, like some of those opportunities are the most growing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about putting yourself also in the learning environment with somebody else saying, if I expect myself to have something that you should glean, I should also expect that I have something that I can glean from you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, if not more. Yeah. Um, 
Do you feel like you're gaining, like, a sense of, I mean, you said courage. Is that kind of the way it's coming at you feel? Yeah, I think um, I am learning, because I think I am such a solutions-oriented person. um, Totally. That it's always been in my nature to, I'm also a very um, empathetic person, Mm -hmm. and I know that's kind of like, that can be kind of a bolder maybe a snooty statement to make about yourself, but I carry I other people's emotions. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I carry other people's emotions really heavily, which is actually something I've really had to draw a good boundary around in the work that I do mm-hmm. um, in both places. Yeah. Um, but I think also in that nature, I want to fix. I want to change the problem. Mm-hmm. And um, I am also very justice oriented. Yeah. Um, and I'm learning that there may not be justice in a situation. I may not be able to fix the situation, but maybe what this person just needs right now is for me to like hear them. And, um, you know, lately something I've been really processing is just some of the fundamental things that people need being um, to feel valued, to feel understood, and to feel safe. Um, and actually my boss and I were talking about this the mm-hmm. other day just because we were talking about um, how how amazing it is to be able to serve as a safe place for people um, who do walk into a lot of situations feeling inadequate and feeling stupid and feeling like failures and being able to be that resonant voice in their mind that says, you are enough, like, you are beautiful, like, what Mm -hmm. you're doing is good, Um, but what's going well and what could go better? Instead of, like, you know, this is what is crumbling, like, and dissolving, and this is what I don't have control over. Right. If you're trying, if you're working with limited resources, it's teaching yourself to then say, okay, well, instead of going through and figuring out all of the shit that's broken, let's go out and figure out what is working, and let's work mm-hmm. with that. Let's use the thing that's, that is in a good place and mm-hmm. build from there, mm-hmm. rather than, okay, well, this is wrong, and that's wrong. Like, yeah. I don't like doing that to myself. Why would somebody else like me doing that to them? Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, how many teachers did you have that treated you that way? Like, so many teachers that... Right, and, yeah. it, you know, there's not as high if there is any level of respect for that Mm-mm. um because the fastest way to shut someone down is to make them feel stupid oh yeah um and you know i think in our um political climate you know right now not to like dig into that but um it's okay I, it's impossible not to get <laughs> it's into really these, impossible like not it to. comes i'm like i come into these podcasts i'm like i'm not gonna talk about this now and then I talk about We're this gonna stuff. Talk about it's going to happen. Stuff. It's okay. In this political climate. Right. Um, I think that um, it's really been um, causing me to think about what sort of safe space I can create for people. Right. Um, Absolutely. And how I am seeing so many people just roll up their sleeves and say, okay, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, like... It's so upsetting. There's a lot of hurt circulating, and um, I'm just not very good at sitting in my upset like state and just. Oh, being absolutely! Like, You're oh, like, like okay, this has got to be fixable. It has to be fixable. Right. I can fix it. Right. Things that are unfixable are terrifying to me. They're so difficult. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and even learning in that moment, like, well, that's terrifying that I can't fix that. And mm-hmm. yes, I am very aware that, like, largely, I'm pretty unaffected. But yeah. if I. If I know that, like, I am in a position to help, I'm going to do whatever is within my means to create that safe space and help. And, 
you know, that fixer in me maybe just needs to turn into, like, a good listener. Mm-hmm. So figuring that out and, and being such a solution-oriented person, being able to say, like, okay, maybe the solution to this problem just looks like sitting with that person. Yeah. Absolutely. And saying, like, in that, what you're saying is the same as what you're doing in your work. You're saying, I have a resource. My resource is, um, I have a roof over my head. Mm -hmm. I have predictability. I am educated. I um, am trained to deal with these things, and I'm going to offer that service. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you're going to be paid because you have a valuable service, and Mm -hmm. that should be a reasonable option for them Mm -hmm. you know we should have a society that makes that achievable as a as a resource to them so in this day day and age saying okay what resources do i have who needs those resources and how do i make those accessible to them Mm -hmm. it's a hundred percent needed and and especially right now me like constantly just being like great i am a white male i have a lot of opportunity i have a lot of freedoms Mm -hmm. and i have um a lot of voice, especially with like the artistic outlets that I have. And how do I make sure that I am not squandering those things? Mm. And I think the idea of gluttony is really hitting me a lot right now is saying like, like, um, that these resources are a consumable resources because they are something that exists within time. I exist in a space and I exist in a time. And so we'll call those resources food. And to say like, I'm going to use all of those resources for myself with the full knowledge that when I consume them all myself, others starve. That is, oh, the, in what essence, a what good gluttony way is. to oh, put that. Thanks. Yeah. Well, and yeah, even I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, I work for a woman who mm-hmm. owns her own business. Hell yeah. And it's not a common thing being done, in, even in just like nearby states. I mean, I think the only other clinic I really know of that does the work we do is in California. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's got this really cool thing going, and I have a lot of liberty in my job, and I'm really trusted by my boss. So, like, you know, doing the Women's March the other day, I was thinking, you know, I don't feel like I am being put in a corner mm-hmm. as an individual, but um, it's my joy to be able to just be an advocate for people who have been put in a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that sentiment... Um, you know, I hope grows a little more. I think it's really hard for all of us to figure out what our role is right now and to figure out where we stand and and to figure out what it looks like to sift through guilt or confusion or mm-hmm. anger and say, how do I productively move forward with these emotions and these, um, you know, these things that I cannot control and how do I, like, make strides forward or work towards progress, you know, instead of perpetuating more conflict or creating more hurt. Mm -hmm. I I think my biggest question, and I think like you are the perfect person to ask this to, because Mm -hmm. I think it's not easy for you, I assume, um, is that how do you, um, because I feel very much the same in this, this idea when a problem isn't solvable, um, it feels really uncomfortable. It feels painful. It feels, I feel a physical discomfort Mm -hmm. around it. Um, and, um, it's important, I believe, to enter into those problems and to thinking about that purposefully and intentionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I think like, like saying like, okay, this is a storm. Like you don't enter into the storm 
an, like accidentally, that's how you drown. So right. how do you, is, <laughs> like mm-hmm. right now, um, how are you engaging with this stuff, mm. like these bigger problems and these big, bigger issues in a way that you feel isn't destroying you and it feels like this is how I can take one step forward? Yeah, um, I think, um, so something that I've just been trying to do in general um, is show up more and be more present. Um, Dude, show up. Right? That's just like the That's goal. the name of the game right <laughs> now. Someone needs you? Show up. Show up. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've had just like a multitude of reasons why I have um, put things on the back burner for the last several years because I have dealt with like a series of health issues and mm-hmm. I was also just kind of carrying around this thought in my mind that was like, when I feel 100%, I am going to do this, this, and this, and sure. it's going to be great. Sure. I have to get there. And then realizing four years later, oh, those things are still on my list, and I still don't feel great. So mm-hmm. I have to just show up now. And maybe by showing up, Truth. I might feel better. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So something I've been, I just announced today and, and have been formulating is just like a art, music, therapy gathering for women in the city because... Um, for so long, I have just wanted to connect with all these different people, um, artists and musicians that are, you know, female in Seattle Mm -hmm. and just say like, what is your story? And what is, you know, like, what are you processing? Like, I want to know, tell me. Um, and I think that also not so much anymore, but for a long time it, it felt like there was kind of this weird underlying disconnect or competition between um, girls, I think that that's a common thing that girls are often um, pitted against each other, and it's like that is your competition. I mean, SPU. There right. was like three girls for every guy, sure. right? So, but I mean, there's also a lot. I I think that there's a lot of over dramatization of that concept in a. I'm just going to call it rape culture because it's the simplest mm. way to call it. Yeah. But like in a male-dominated rape culture society, yeah. where uh-huh. it's saying like. Oh, you're weaker if I put you against one another. Ah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I think that that is, yes, totally. I, I don't know that I see it more with women mm. than I see it with men. Yeah. Um, but I again only have my viewpoint to stand from. So yeah. Well, that's, that I think that's so valid, and maybe it just looks different. I think a lot of it happens to be like face to face. We don't have that behavior mm-hmm. a lot of it seems to happen behind the scenes where it's like um like an internal process and then i see the people be really kind to each other face to face and then there's this like weird like aftermath that is like oh like actually this person sure is frustrating to me or sure. i don't appreciate what they're doing and it um and perhaps it's because of i think maybe a insecurity like a insecurity. level of insecurity I, absolutely of course you like there's a scapegoating that needs to happen mm-hmm. and also you know just like you were talking about with the students in the schools if they're constantly told hey you can't do this thing hey you can't do this thing eventually learned helplessness is going to tell oh, you yeah. i'm right mm-hmm. i mean you're right i can't do that thing right. and if you're constantly being put in a thing where it's saying judge yourself or if you're feeling bad about yourself judge someone else yeah and then you're saying, oop, I feel bad about something about myself. Right. Who can I put this on instead? Yeah. Which perpetuates that idea. Totally. And yeah. that is that is such a valid statement, Lane. I'm glad you say that about, like, 
everyone has that experience to some degree. I mm-hmm. think right now it's fresh in my mind because I'm reading this book about teenage girls and social media. Sure. And it's, like, terrifying what these girls are experiencing. Um, um, but I won't go into that. But, um, it, it, I, yeah. <laughs> it goes without saying. Yeah. Um, all that to say, like, I want to create this, um, like, a safe space, like we've been talking about, um, an environment where all these girls artists and musicians and just anyone really like mm-hmm. you don't have to create anything just like show up and just be in the presence of one another and um just show up and yeah. support each other and say like what are you working on what are you struggling with like what are you excited about and um what can we do to help you feel braver and mm. what can we do to make you feel more empowered to pursue that thing and um put more things together and make more things happen, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think I have been so fortunate in the last probably year to really formulate strong um, communities, like with people. Mm -hmm. And um, we talked about being introverted and it being really easy to just kind of hibernate and hide away. And um, I think my goal in the last, at least especially in the last several months, but in the last year is just to been like, or has been to wake up and and show up. Mm-hmm. I keep saying that, but like, um, it's a good thing. Keep saying it, <laughs> right? And ideas spark ideas. You know, like being in conversation with other people and hearing other people say, "Oh yeah, I'm hurting too," or "Oh yeah, I'm scared too," and "Oh yeah, I deal with anxiety also." It just it helps everyone to say, like, "Oh, I'm not alone in this." Right, and I feel like it's takes something. It takes like churning water that's just in your brain that's just getting stagnant and it's just saying Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again and Mm -hmm. it lets something leak out and something leak in and Mm -hmm. like when you start doing that it it makes that water flow it says okay though this is still just water that we're dealing with it's still like we're in the exact same place that we've been at least this is fresh at least this is something new that we're dealing with i almost just dumped my water all over this (laughs) we're talking about water and then i dumped my computer what a metaphor that would have been funny oh no just throw flowing water. Yeah, I'm mean, uh, oh, The computer is broken. Oh, no. Um, yeah, that's a really good analogy, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And I think even just, like, the vulnerability of saying something out loud, um, it is vulnerable to share your art or to share your um, anxieties or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're carrying around, whatever burden that is or whatever, like, even something you're celebrating. Um, so just feeling like, for lack of a better word, that solidarity with other people. Um, Well, and I think so many people have so much to say right now, and and it's it's easy to feel like it's actually demand... I think it's this really strange thing where it's actually a sense of, like, I ought to have something to give, and I have nothing to say that's articulate, Mm. and it's difficult. I feel guilty when I say nothing, but mm-hmm. I also feel like I don't have enough time to formulate a thought. Oh, yeah. And I think when you say, great, well, here is a space. Here's an environment. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, like, right now, I feel like this podcast has been, like, a wonderful thing in the last oh, few months, especially yeah. during this I climate, know. to say, okay, let me create a space where we're not looking at our phones, mm-hmm. we're not walking away. You can say something that you did, said 20 minutes ago, and then later you can correct yourself, mm-hmm. and it's fine mm-hmm. and maybe you don't correct yourself you text me an hour yeah, later after maybe show. like oh everybody texts after the podcast was like i can't believe i said that it's like that's fine but like i'm not editing it out, not editing it out. sorry dog <laughs> um but just like saying 
what is the, like, curating a space, like what mm-hmm. you're talking about mm-hmm. doing. I think that that's a wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and saying, that's fine. You don't have to constantly be adding to the noise. Right. Here instead is a stage and a moment. Mm-hmm. Use that. And because you know you have it, prepare. Mm-hmm. Give something useful because you've got time. You mm-hmm. can do this. You mm-hmm. can do a great job. And even just like, it's okay if you don't have something that you feel like you can contribute. And like, you don't have to yell to be heard. No. And you you know, it's okay to just sit and absorb. Mm-hmm. Just, I think that, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of research too on this as kind of a strange connection, but on um, solitary confinement. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, you know, in all that prison research that I do. Yeah, uh, in all that prison research I do. Just, like, how hard and how damaging it can be mm. to just, like, have a person who is struggling to begin with just be left alone to brew in that and to not be heard or to say something out loud or to hear somebody, like respond to them and say, like, no, you're not crazy. Or, like, no, that's crazy. Like, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, and just to, to respond to it and be able to kind of counter the thought. And, and like we talked about earlier, just, like, is that a truth? Um, or is that just, is that just, like, a story I'm telling myself? <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like that is such a good metaphor for, like, our, our society right now is, like, looking at solitary confinement as, like, a, a very understandable kind of, like, monochromatic version. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a painting of so many things. Right. You can say, isn't, isn't, like, prison to solitary confinement the same as typical society to the prison? And isn't that same as, right. like, this people group within society to the general public? Right. You know? And it's, like, a pretty dramatic stretch for me to bring solitary confinement up in a conversation about, like, gathering as a community. Right. But because I, because it, <laughs> I, I totally get that. Because then you're like, but you don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> nobody even can compare to what that's like. Right. And I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, all that to say that, like, um, we were not meant to be alone. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, like, I already mentioned, I'm an introvert, so... When I lived by myself, it was so easy for me to just, like, be alone and just, like, not think about reaching out to people or extending myself to people, especially when I was hurting or something to say, like, I maybe need some rational voice to kind of, like, counter some of the thoughts that are going through my head right now. Um, And I think that sometimes that inner dialogue that we have with ourselves can be really... um, it can be really harmful if we don't have another voice to come in and say, like, you know, no, you are, yeah. a, like, a worthy, beautiful, valuable human being, um, and here is why. And yeah. um, I don't know. I think I have just really formulated some strong um, girl communities, too, lately, mm-hmm. where it's like, wow, look what happens when we just gather and make a meal. It changes the week. Mm -hmm. Um, We get to process things that I might not otherwise get to process, but I would just think I was fine with. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like in saying it out loud, it's why therapy is so good too, asking questions that need to be asked. Absolutely. 
I receive this as an invitation to your girl community. Thank you, you are so much. More than welcome. <laughs> Actually, I find that a violation to the space that you've created. So I won't do that. Yeah, but okay, so community for this is too. the big thing. I, I feel like that you're talking about. I I love that you're talking about. I'm sorry. It's hot tea. It's no, still I hot. just dumped my hot dog. Oh, that. sorry. No, it's good. Well, I mean, I don't know why I said I'm sorry. You fucking did it. <laughs> I did it. You didn't. Um, it was inevitable. Okay, so there's this idea where you're creating. Um, you had said that thing about when you're creating these spaces, it's creating moments where you can ask someone, what are you doing and what are you really excited about? And I thought in my mind, like, oh, I'm going to ask her those exact same questions. But at the same time, you're already telling me all of these things you're creating. Um, I think it's interesting you're talking all about all of these things you're creating. Up until this point, you've only talked about things that you're creating, which are creating something for someone else. Mm. Um, and I think that having both is important. And I think it feels, it can feel more comfortable for our personality types, because I think we have similar personality mm-hmm. types, um, to talk about, here's the things that I'm doing that I'm doing for other people, and then we're like, and I'm doing this for myself, and I won't bring that up as loudly, I feel a little bit ashamed about mm-hmm. what I'm doing for myself, but I think it's important to do this as well. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question is, what are you doing artistically that's for you? Yeah, wow, good question. Um, I I feel like um, kind of the theme or the underlying theme of a lot of these things too has been like you can't pour from an empty kettle. Mm. So um, figuring out what it looks like to um, find energy when I feel like I'm lacking energy. So I think the things that I've kind of been trying to um, sort out um, for myself in order to do that... Um, is really figuring out what my boundaries are mm. um, surrounding... Like, you mentioned that at the beginning, mm-hmm. like learning how to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a big conversation I've been also having. Apparently, I have a lot of conversations. Well, um, it's that self-consciousness. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it just feeds back into it. It's all those metacognitive conversations. Are there other people involved in these conversations, or is it just kind of what's playing in your brain? Well, me and myself were talking about this the yeah. other day. Yeah. Uh, no, there is a lot of that, too, that inner dialogue. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, no, like, just probably with a lot of different people, but um, even with my students, too, like, what are your boundaries, and hmm. why is it that we have pegged the word boundary as a negative thing? Absolutely. Um, and how, I read this Cheryl Strayed quote once that was just basically talking about how boundaries are not put in place as a negative thing we put them in place to tell other people how to love us and to learn how to love other people better. Mm. And that, I think, completely changed is the way de- I looked Is that at Dear it. Sugar? Oh, probably. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, I listen. She does, she does the audible for that, or the audiobook for it, and she reads it herself. Oh, no. And it is just devastating. Oh, I need like, it. Like... It's one thing to listen to, like, a funny podcast on the bus. It's another thing to be openly crying on the bus yeah. living, listening to Cheryl yeah. Strange who's being I can't. I, I'm crying on the bus. I oh, need to man. stop. This is just this real is, life right This now. is just the start of my day. I'm going to devote it's, a weekend uh, to that. Yeah, I learned don't start your day with Cheryl oh, Strange no. on Audible on Let the bus. Let that set the tone yeah, for Yeah, like, maybe end when you're like, let's, okay, we've had a bunch of ridiculous things, yeah. but we'll finish with this. But that is a beautiful quote. I oh, just love that. Yeah, I mean... I think it has actually changed a lot of how I enter into relationships and friendships and even work relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think that this year, um, 
it's just kind of been a slow process of figuring out how I can um, realign some of my boundaries in order to be a healthier, better version of myself in order to show up to these things as someone who can give and mm. um, be present and be loving. And um, I think maybe that involved a little bit of, I don't want to use the word selfish because I, I don't think people should see us see self-care as something that is inherently selfish. Nope. I think that we should look at self-care as something that is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the reason why I was dealing with all these health issues for so many years is because I wasn't drawing good boundaries for myself. Mm. Um, and so um, choosing more um, carefully what I let affect me mm. and what I choose to carry because it's only a burden if I choose to carry it. Right. Um, <laughs> if I, I release it. Right. Then it's just a thing. Right. There's lots of things. Mm, lots of things. Look yeah. at all these things Look around me. Things. <laughs> Look at all these fucks I don't give. Yeah, right. All, all these things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I think I have a lot of food allergies. Mm-hmm. I'm allergic to everything. Um, and it has, you know, like, um, it has such a cognitive, as- like, impact. And... Mm. Um, you know, so mentally and emotionally, like, I eat something that I'm allergic to, and my brain and my emotions just, like, mm. kind of dissolve a little bit. And so really honing in on, okay, what's causing that? Get rid of it. Um, and being more diligent about making my own meals and investing more time in preparing those meals and finding joy in that mm-hmm. and being like, I know what is in this, and I feel safe in it. Sure. And, and you talk about... Um, to, to not use this term lightly, but the concept of disorderly eating can so much come from feeling like I have to make choices, not I want to make choices. Mm-hmm. And saying like, oh, I have to eat this, even though I know it's not what my body needs right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And then doing that and then having these extreme jumps back and forth instead right. saying, I know my body and I trust my body. And right. so I don't have to eat that thing. Instead, this is what my body grows from Mm -hmm. and I can still get everything that I need and learning to to trust that inner self and that inner voice on that oh yeah well and looking too at um my body like it's trying to help me and not like it's trying to hurt me Mm -hmm. um and that has totally changed the perspective too Mm -hmm. you know I was sitting at the table with my roommate Brittany and um, she showed me this excerpt from Becoming Wise and Krista Tippett was interviewing this mm. guy who was um, paralyzed from the waist down, but he teaches yoga to girls with eating disorders. Mm. Um, but he basically made this statement that was like, he was in this car accident as a young man and mm-hmm. that caused that paralyzation. And he said, you know, it was then that I learned that my body wasn't trying to kill me. It was extending itself towards living. And I just, like, wept when I read that because for so many years I was looking at my body like my enemy and, like, it was trying to betray me because I knew myself to be, you know, I kept thinking, man, like, Laren four years ago was just creative and bright and really happy and, you know, not that I'm not those things anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's really easy when you don't feel well to seem like I'm this... Um, half-illuminated version of myself. Absolutely. It's so easy to say, like, I was so desired. I was so, like, musically by people. Mm. Like, I was in this Mm -hmm. easy, accessible community Mm -hmm. that made it, um, that just made me feel so valuable. And now, 
I feel less valuable. I feel less healthy. I, I totally understand that. Yeah, and really dissecting that, again, coming back to that, is that the truth? Like, no, that is not the right. truth. Um, but, you know, figuring out, I think, like, the second I read that, it changed everything for me because I was like, I have to stop treating myself like I'm, you know, at odds with myself or, like, my body's trying to, like, throw me under the bus. Like, I mm-hmm. have to treat my body like it's a friend who's trying to communicate with me like I am doing my best but you're not you're not helping me and so yeah drawing those better boundaries around what I say yes to where my energy goes and um what I choose to carry around I think has just been like the overarching theme so that I can be a better friend to myself sure. I know that sounds so nerdy no I think it's wonderful and, I, I, yeah, and especially someone who is who is has these self-conscious like elements self-conscious elements which mm-hmm. I think are not a negative thing a like I am conscious of myself mm-hmm. and then to not immediately go from that to saying like okay but when I'm with people I'm going to disbelieve all those things that I thought through and and believed and saying like no I'm going to be consistent I'm going to be uh, cohesive from mm-hmm. my internal voice to my external voice mm-hmm. and learning to that you can only do that by doing exactly what you're saying setting boundaries and saying no I'm not going to become this person you want me to become I'm right. going to stay true to myself I'm going to trust myself in that right and then you know in in that process like when we let ourselves do that I think when we give ourselves more compassion and room to make those mistakes and just be a human mm-hmm. um, we we lighten our load significantly because then it's like you said earlier where it's just like, I'm not going to just go into this situation expecting to let somebody down or behave in a way that I'm going to feel stupid about later. I'm going to just expect that I'm going into this situation as myself with other people who are being themselves Mm -hmm. and there is going to be grace, hopefully abounding. And, you know, I'm just going to be a human Mm -hmm. because that's really all we can do Sometimes it's just mm-hmm. try to exist. <laughs> I love that. Um, I'm going to, like, mirror something back to you, and you can tell me if you think it's true or not. But, like, I originally asked you, like, what is the artistic thing that you're doing that is feeding into yourself? I think it's really cool because what you then, kind of in all of that, kind of saying everything since mm-hmm. then has been the answer to that, mm-hmm. is um, those things that you're doing, it's by creating... Um, saying these artistic things that I'm pouring into are lights that are that are heating me up, that are that are mm-hmm. going back into me, that saying like, um, I'm surrounding myself by what I know I desire. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. saying this is true, and though it's an artistic thing I'm giving somebody else, it truly is feeding me by mm-hmm. surrounding myself with this, with this honesty and creating mm-hmm. a community. Like, mm-hmm. that community isn't going to create itself, and so I'm curating this for myself. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, and I guess, yes, also artistically, I guess, like, I'm writing music, and I'm playing, and I try to, I haven't been as good about it in the last couple weeks, because I was, like, sick since Christmas, but just, like... You and everyone. Every, yes, everyone. Me, you, Um, Heather, everybody. Downboard the account. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And I think part of it is because I work with kids, so the second I would start to feel better, another kid would come in, and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. This is why we're drinking tea with lemons in it and a little bit of alcohol. It's because I actually want to kill any germs that you brought into my home. That's true. Yeah. It's effective. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should do that at work tomorrow. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Alcohol, no uh-huh. um, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to also say yes more to that, like mm-hmm. show up to more um, 
like music opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I've got a couple shows coming up, and I think you I'm, do. Mm -hmm. When are you playing? Um, I'm playing February twenty sixth um, at the High Dive. Yeah. By yeah. yourself? Yeah, just me. What? Um, yeah, I'm opening for um, this guy from New York. His project is called I think the. Bones of J.R. Bones. Okay. He's rad. His stuff is really rad. I'm really excited. I'm going to come it. to listen to you. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's great. I'm gonna Everybody. Come to but I'm going to come to listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come ahead and listen to him. Yeah. But I'm coming to listen to you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, J.R. Bones. Great. I'm Larry Harrison. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love that. Um, and then every so often I play, I work at a bar once a week called Hotel Albatross, and I jump mm -hmm. up on stage there every once in a while, so I'm going to play there Dude, in still, March. I've still never been there. Really? Yeah. We're oh. so close to it. You need tater tot nachos. I'll be there tomorrow. Tater tot nachos. Well, this comes out on Mondays, so you... But you can come... But I, those tomorrow. future ghosts can suck it. <laughs> I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. I have no plans tomorrow night. Then you, yeah. Oh my you gosh. I should come visit. Showing up. Yep. <laughs> Show up. Um, it's funny because like I all, I want to I keep wanting to ask all these questions back to you. But yeah. I'm like, am I allowed to do that? Yeah. So it's a conversation. Yes. Great. Um, what are you working on? Like, because I know that you were talking about how your job really just kind of feeds the stability and yeah. like, those basic needs. It's so not mental health, not nonprofit, not mm -hmm. all these things that used to be like uh, I'm gonna sacrifice all this stuff. Yeah, it's great. Last night I recorded a video. For a tiny desk <gasps> contest. For NPR? Yeah. I want to see. Okay. Oh, I, I've been I, having it, so much fun watching everyone. I mean, the we we pushed it back, so it's it, it's a little bit last minute because it's due the 29th. By the time mm -hmm. this comes out, it'll already be submitted. Oh, it will wow. have to have been submitted. So mm -hmm. worked with um, Chris Crawford. Do you know him? You yeah. know him. Yeah. He's mm -hmm. the best. So he filmed it, and then Aaron McConkie did the audio, and he's doing more and more stuff with the band right now, which oh, is cool. really great. Mm -hmm. But it was in this... Um, attic crawl space um above um this church that's over by finney ridge um like right next to the zoo and so it like oh. like the vast majority of it was carrying it up like two three flights of stairs like drum sets audio oh gear gosh. video gear um and then up a ladder and then across the roof and then running power up into this like tiny crawl space and it was just like beautiful <laughs> yeah and then we were just doing like single take shots um it was so fun. We're actively, like, rehearsing stuff. We we're trying to get, uh, we, that, like, we're bringing Aaron into more. Mm -hmm. And then hoping to, say, in the springtime, this project that we've been working on that we recorded last spring is going to finally be a little EP that we're putting out. Oh, yeah. So it's great. It's that. It's the podcast. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Those things are just so fun. But the music right now is just, like, deeply satisfying to me. Yeah. It feels really good. It feels like... We're not doing something that has to be like, is this going to sell? It feels like, is yeah. this what we want to listen to? Is this what we want to create? Right. The, you remove the like necessity from it. Like, mm -hmm. ah, like I have to make something from this or something has to come back from this. And mm -hmm. you just say like, no, I am creating this yeah. for the process and the sake of creating I never this. liked boomerangs. I'm all about frisbees anyways. Like, oh, it's, man. like It doesn't have to come back. I'd rather <laughs> yeah. just toss it. <laughs> That's so perfect. Somebody else can toss it back if they want to, but I, I'm having yeah. fun tossing it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I know, it's so funny. It's like all these different realms when, when you work, I don't know, I think like I create probably much better music now as someone who does something. Um, yeah, there's a lot of creativity in my sure. job, but like it's mostly I am exercising all these different cognitive 
you know, muscles. Yeah, and it's a sense of finally when you get to play mm-hmm. your instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, there's no obligation about it. It's like, oh, this is like therapy at the end of the evening, and I'm just kind of having a conversation out loud about something I'm processing, and I'm writing a story about it, and, you know, nobody really has to hear it. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, even if it just is a voice memo on my phone forever, like, that's fine with me. Dude, thank God for voice memos. Right? It's it's just a, it's a deep scroll. I'll go back and yeah. listen to, the, like, like it's, it's more than a minute. Wonder what this is. Uh-huh. I love it. Well, and how did I ever, how did we ever remember anything we wrote? Or maybe we didn't. No, I mean, I very fortunately, like, grew up, like, in a place where I had a tape recorder, and oh. then I had GarageBand, uh-huh. um, either in school or, mm-hmm. like, once I got into college, mm-hmm. I had a computer, so, like, I've always had something I, I could record to. I that, too, that's true. Yeah. But I think, like, I remember in high school when I was writing music, I just, I, I remembered all of it, and now I'll go through and I'll listen to a voice memo, and I'll be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I started the thing two months ago. Yeah. Okay, I should probably now we can know, keep snippets, not just up. songs. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's true. Snippets, that's a good yeah. way to put it. I also had a lot more notebooks that just had chords and words written uh-huh. in them. Like I would actually write the chords and the songs down. And then, like I remember, I would have songs where I'd be like, I don't remember how the melody goes anymore, but I'm going to create a new one yeah. over these chords that oh, I that's found. Great. Yeah. I think if I don't know, I'm funny about writing down lyrics too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if somebody gets their hands on my notebook and they read this, they're not going to be able to read it in the way that it's meant, you know, mm-hmm. like, will they catch the cadence? Will they know yeah. what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. It's weird. No one's going through my bags and reading my yeah. notebooks. I'm trying a new, uh, a new approach right now for writing, which is, like, taking walks, and if I have a concept or an idea, um, I used to have this belief that I wasn't good at... Um, talking about ideas that I I had to play them and that Mm -hmm. was like a the only way I could get these things out that I and instead and I I come to a place where I'm like no that's doing this out of a dependency do it out of a joy and Mm -hmm. so I'm saying no I'm good at talking and I'm also good at this so why not when I'm by myself if I've got something that I want to create into an artistic thing instead of just being like it has to go straight from concept into song like if it's just words write down the words and just Mm -hmm. like being better at building um uh, just a pile of Mm -hmm. of content that I can reach into and if I'm saying like oh that's a clever phrase that really makes me happy and it's around these ideas and then reaching back and saying like what is my brain Mm -hmm. naturally weaving together what do I what if I already created and like that makes my writing process just feel so much more organic feel um accessible because I've mm-hmm. done some legwork and I'm just like, oh, I thought of this phrase, wrote it down. Well, there's less of a sense of urgency at it being something immediately. And it's funny because I keep thinking of, um, we're kind of retraining um, our staff on teaching writing to yeah. students. And, you know, one of the big things that we're really trying to emphasize with our kiddos is just like the outline the dreaded outline. Yeah. But also just like, I'll tell my students, let's just do a brain dump. Like, when you think of this concept or you see that question or whatever, you look at that prompt, like, don't put your thoughts down in an organized way yet. Just, like, write down anything that comes to mind, and then you can kind of, like, rework it, and then you never know, like, what is going to come from Mm -hmm. just kind of, like, letting that happen, and then, then start to put the pieces together, but I think the biggest thing is that we expect something, um, really, like, poignant and meaningful and organized to just like move from our head to our paper and it's like 
Oh, that was magical. Yeah. It, no. It doesn't. No. No. It doesn't go it's, like that. It's, it doesn't. I mean, sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's no way you can force that. Right. And if you have something inside of you, why try to say this can only exist in one realm? Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, what realm does this want to exist in right now? Oh, Maybe yeah. Maybe it wants to be painted. Maybe it wants to be a cup of coffee. Maybe it wants to be a, a text to somebody I care about. Mm-hmm. Like, rather than saying ooh, this has to be a marketable artistic concept. Right. Maybe it's just a healthier relationship with someone you care about. Yeah. You know, maybe that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and just looking at it and let it, letting it kind of make its way into those other areas is really sure. a good idea. I love that. Um, it's funny, too, because, like, oftentimes I'll, I'll feel like I come up with something that's, like, I really appreciate this line. I feel like that was exactly what I wanted to say. Um and that, like I said it how I want to say it, and then I'm like, okay, so now I have to build everything else around <laughs> it. <laughs> and I'm like, how am I going to do that? And so it's like maybe like 10% of the song mm-hmm. is something that I'm like, I feel very strongly about that. And then yeah. like the rest of it's just kind of like supporting detail. Dude, I had one where I was like, I care about this verse deeply, and it matters to me, and I cannot create anything around it. I'm not going to add fluff. Mm-hmm. I record the voice memo. I walked away. I came back to it recently, and it was a. I looked at like the timestamp. It was a year later, and I was like, "Oh, that's what I was writing about." Oh, I could like man. that. Like verse one was the. This is a fresh emotion. Verse two and three are. That emotion has healed. Here are the other sides Ooh, of this story, wow, and it yeah. was so much more like. I could have written that song. I even started writing the rest of the song, but I it was bad, and so I gave it time. I let it exist, and then I was able to write from a place of experience, mm-hmm. and it just was like one night, one hour, boom. Mm-hmm. I went from a verse to a song. That's so funny. I did the exact same thing recently. Yeah. I heard it. It was like, I it was a phrase or like a verse that I just really appreciated um, the imagery of, and I was just like, I want to carry on this imagery, but I don't know how to do that right yeah. now. I don't have the experience yet. Sure. Um, and exact same thing where like I stumbled upon it like years later. And what's funny is actually, I think I have like maybe a voice memo on my old phone of Abby Gunderson like playing violin over the verse to it because she lived above me at the right. time when I wrote it. And mm-hmm. that was when I lived in Ward Street. I have a, I have a voice recording of me and Abby playing That's something amazing. together in that apartment. <laughs> really? Yeah. We oh, talked about man. it the last time Was I it in the her. laundry room? It was in the laundry room. So you, you can't really hear anything? It's no, it's echoes. super washy. Yeah. It's a washing machine of music. Oh, <laughs> I loved that laundry room. That man, so, so many evenings of me and drinking Jameson and writing music and just... That was I was like working three jobs and going to school at that time, and I was like, I don't even know what's happening. No. <laughs> How am I alive right now? I'm somehow in the laundry room. Abby, so you got a voice memo. Yeah. And then, you know, just kind of like unearthing this song years later and being like, exactly like you said, being like, oh, man, it's so funny. I'm seeing it from a completely different angle now as a, like an altered human. Yeah. So cool. Right. Like, don't get rid of anything. I think so many <laughs> times as artists, we have this idea, especially like you take something like that where it wasn't finished, okay. But maybe take something else that was finished, that maybe you've even played before, and that you're like, I liked parts of that, but I never really loved that. Is it okay for me to workshop this again? Mm-hmm. Is it okay for me to take something and turn it into a phoenix? I think we're in the day and in our 
in our age as people coming into this level of adulthood where we now have enough material that we've been working on for the mm -hmm. past decade mm -hmm. or more that we're able to say, let's back back into when I was 17. Yeah. What did I have oh, to gosh, say yeah. then, you know? Well, it's yours. You can do whatever the hell sure. you want with You that. absolutely can. And I think that I have thought about doing that sometimes and then been like, nah, I can't do that mm. because... Because what? That's not who I am anymore. That's mm. not the version I want to present. Mm -hmm. What if I become that again? Like, these are crazy thoughts. Just, like, yeah. reach back into old wells. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if you're an artist and you, you want to reach back a month, a year, years, mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of things that you've done for yourself mm -hmm. if you're just willing to trust your past self and say, yeah. all right, what did you do? Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because I... I think that that's, there's like something to be said about just looking at something having been what it was in that moment and being reflective of what life was like in that time mm -hmm. um, and putting that side by side with just what your experience is now and how you've grown as a, a writer or a musician or whatever. Um, but also what's kind of cool is, I, I don't know if you do this too, but I have this tendency to, because a, a lot of the time um, I've got like, kind of characters in my mind and mm -hmm. I write a lot of storytelling music sure. um but I have songs I have so many songs that are like well this is two songs that are like the same they're connected mm -hmm. these are the same people the same characters yeah and this is part one this is part two mm -hmm. um and in kind of like drawing connections um between songs and being like well it's like PJ Woodhouse or whatever where he will have mm -hmm. a character that was in one book mm -hmm. that he like puts in another book mm -hmm. in a completely unrelated yeah. way um I love that it's like you get to kind of be like sure or so much of like what Colin Malloy does in the Decemberist where oh, he'll create uh -huh. characters like that where he'll have stereos where it's maybe they're even in multiple albums things like that yeah. where it's just like let's reoccur these people yeah yeah I love that. I love that liberty of being able to draw connections between different types of songs and be like, yeah, these sound really similar. There's a reason for that. And mm -hmm. I think probably some of that, too, comes from having studied music and heard so many things that were like theme and variation. Mm -hmm. That idea of theme and variation where it's like, it's okay to take this thing and write about it from different Sure. angles and perspectives sure absolutely i've got like three or four songs where i've got i've had over the past two years like a a an inversion of a chord and how it how it transitions into another chord mm -hmm. that i've used on almost every one of my songs and there's like variations of how i'm making it the like where it's sitting um modally within mm -hmm. like the chord structure it makes a, a huge difference but at the same time from one shift to the next, like, it's just this pattern that I've fallen in love with. Yeah. And it's it's created this thematic thing that I find, like, present in a lot of what mm -hmm. I'm creating. I'm like, no one's ever going to hear that mm -hmm. the way that I hear it. Yeah. I think it's just something for me, but it's inspiring. And, like, I don't have to be like, no, I can't play that again. I already did that. It's like, nah, nah. You can do whatever hey, you want. Put it in there again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Oh, I do that, too. Yeah. I, because, really, truthfully, I don't know very much guitar. I play the same chords, and I'm just like, I want to move the capo. I'll move the capo again. Because <laughs> um, keyboard is your primary instrument. Or that's where you started from. I grew up playing piano, yeah. yeah. And it's funny, because I don't really play it as much anymore. I, I don't write and sing to it. it okay. It's harder in the apartments. It's harder in the mm -hmm. city. Yep. Absolutely. Um but it's funny, like, I, I think, too, when you say that, that pattern resonates with you in such a specific way. Um, when I was doing music, I did this big project on, like, 
the link between music, memory, and emotion. Mm-hmm. And I used film scores as like the basis of all that and how just all those different elements in music, whether it's melodic line, if descending, ascending, like mm-hmm. volume, um, the structure can be broken down in a way that touches on our emotions so specifically. And, you know, when you respond to like a pattern or this movement in music in a way that's like, wow, that resonates with me so much. Mm-hmm. Like, of course you want to reuse it. it yeah. It's like a word. It's like having a word that you use a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about it as part of your, your painting palette in music, mm-hmm. saying like, oh, I already used blue on that last painting. I can't use blue on this next painting. What are you fucking That's talking much, about? You must use blue. <laughs> How can you not use blue? Keep yeah. using blue. Right, that's <laughs> yeah. a way better way to describe that. I mean, yeah, like, let's get a colorblind guy to start using color <laughs> yeah, as his examples for Aww. these things. Are you colorblind? Yeah. I did not know I'm red-green colorblind. Heather helps me dress. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I dress in shades and her outfits that she picks out for me. It's great. great. I, I must be married. Otherwise, I'm doomed. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I mean, I mean, I'm such an earth tone person anyways. I can't think of really running into that dressing issue anyways. Wear a lot of gray. Mm-hmm. A lot of gray. I mean, you're like, that's why my white dog was so excited to see you. Because she was like, I'm going to put these hairs on you. You're wearing all black. You're today. wearing all black. <laughs> you're wearing all black. You got a really cool outfit on. I'm People listening thing. in the future, those future ghosts, they don't know it, but your outfit is super tight. You've got this really cool ring. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah I bought this from a really um, old the, man. Yeah, it's at got a, the stones in it. It's, so it's like silver, and then what are these stones? Uh, that's moonstone. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bought it from this guy at a... Um, rock and gem show and he was like so sweet he was just <laughs> okay you're making fun of me right now mm-hmm. is it because i'm gazing at it long <laughs> no it's because the way you said so sweet like it was like kind of a little bit true but you were also like bless his heart <laughs> it was a little bit like bless his heart yeah oh man um yeah, he was like, I made this in the mm-hmm. 60s. Back door! Okay. Back door! <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we'll give you a discount. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. You got it. That was rad. Um, yeah, thanks for a good story. Dude, that's tight. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on the oh podcast. Gosh, you're welcome. It was so great. I love all these things. I'm like super pumped after this. I feel so encouraged by the things. I know. I'm just like, these are so many good conversation pieces. Yeah. It's been really fun to listen to the podcast, like, and just, it's cool because listening to people I know Mm -hmm. for an hour or so at a time and just be like, oh, I feel so fed by just, like, the ideas that are coming from these people and just knowing that these people exist in a place that I also exist is so, it's, like, really reassuring and it's really hopeful and it's fun that those conversations are being had. And are accessible. Yeah. So I love what you're doing. Cool. So cool. Thanks, man. Well, I'm not going to be like the false modesty at all. That makes me feel awesome. It so should. thank you. It should. Oh, it thanks, man. Cool. Yeah. Well, Happy to be here. I love it. Cheers, yo. Cheers, yo. Yep.